Hello, everyone. This is Brad Thomas with iReit and the Ground Up. Uh, today, uh, we're talking about net lease REITs, and I'm pleased to have with me uh, Pete Mavoides. Pete is the CEO of Essentials Properties Trust REIT. Ticker symbol is EPRT. Pete, it's good to see you today. Good to see you again, Brad. How are you? Great. Well, thank you, and thank you for, uh, for joining us here. Um, I was just looking back uh, before this call, um, August the 18th uh, was my first article on EPRT. Um, of course, you uh, IPO'd, I believe, shortly after that. And um, EPRT was actually one of our top picks, actually the very top pick uh, in 2019. And right. of course, uh, yeah, we, we, were, we, we really are pleased with that. And, uh, and of course, we saw, now we know what's happened uh, with COVID. But uh, fortunately, we did, we did uh, trim and sold quite a few shares before COVID. But now we've, we've jumped back on the, uh, on the train and uh, recognizing that shares are, are trading at a you know, pretty substantial discount. So with that in mind, can you talk a little bit about high level, Pete, about you know, EPRT? I know some of the uh, readers uh, may not be as familiar with um, with the company and the business model. If you don't mind just talking about describing your your business model and and your uh, you know what you're investing in. Sure. Um, yeah. So so my partner Greg Cyber and I started this company back in uh, in uh, 2016 after being you know active investors in the net lease market for you know close to 20 years and really had the opportunity to sit down and, and you know, build the company from scratch and invest in assets um, that we wanted to own and assets that we felt had, um, you know, good risk adjusted return, um, you know, for the 20 plus years um, of the primary term of the lease and, you know, for, for which really corresponds to our, our hold period. And, uh, and that really focused us in service and experience based industries. And so we're, um, focused in 16 targeted in service and experience-based industries where we want to own real estate, where our tenants service their customers, um, in that our tenants become identified with our properties, our tenants become uh, committed to our properties, they invest in our properties because their tenants, their customers come there on, on, on a daily basis. And, and, you know, that customer service aspect that we touched on, we want our tenants to be aligned with our ownership interest in that regard. Um, so that really leads us into industries of, uh, you know, quick serve restaurants, uh, child care, car washes, automotive service, uh, medical and dental clinics, um, you know, and, and the like. Um, secondly, we really wanted to um, build a portfolio of granular bite-sized fungible assets. So our average property is about um, $2 million a ticket. And so we own over a thousand properties at this point, uh, but we're $2 million. And, and that really creates a granularity in the portfolio that allows us to manage risk, sell assets and, and move in and out of properties that you know we, we may think uh, create a heightened level of risk within the portfolio, manage our exposures to industries and tenants. And then the last thing I'd say, Brad, is, you know, we wanted to build our portfolio by doing sale leasebacks with middle market tenants. And 82% and of what we've invested in has been a direct sale leaseback and uh, with a middle market tenant. And in the context of a sale leaseback, you are um, structuring a lease uh, on an operating asset and delivering capital into a capital need. 
Um, so we don't find ourselves competing on cap rate. We find ourselves competing on execution, certainty, and reliability. And you know, having done this for as long as we have, we're able to offer our tenants and our and our customers, you know, certainty of close and, and predictability, which is what they look for. And and that manifests itself with 86% of our business um, being business. We're, we're transacting with people we've done business with in the past, so a high degree of relationship-based investing, which you know allows us to structure the right deals and and get attractive risk-adjusted returns. Great. Uh, appreciate that overview. And, and looking at your uh, one, one key differentiator, of course, is the size of your investment. Um, you've got around, uh, I think the last article I wrote, it was around $2 million average ticket or average investment, uh, kind of the lower end of the peer group. So you've got like, for example, Realty Incomes at 3 million, stores at 3.5 million, varies uh, closer to bumping 4 million. Um, so I guess that suggests that you've got, you're not investing in uh, top golf like assets, which are 30 to 40 million. Um, and you've got modest theater exposure. It looks like under 3%. So uh, would that be accurate that you're not really chasing any of these, these the bigger, you know, 10, 20, $30 million uh, uh, deals? Yeah. And I, you know, you touch on a couple points there is, you know, we want to be not only small, and granular at two million, um, we want to be fungible, right? And and when you get into you know a a, a top golf type asset that's a specially built you know purpose built facility, that you know there's not um, a lot of other alternative users for that space other than top golf, and you know to the extent that there is risk there, it's hard to manage that risk. And so um, we have six movie theaters in the portfolio. Um, I would say you know. More importantly, we only have um, 10 assets that are valued at over $11 million, right? And so it's not only the average is not only important, but the distribution is important because, you know, that that large tail is really where the risk in our view resides. And we have very few assets, largely our theaters or a couple of our gyms in that 10 million plus um, price point range. Right. And I guess in terms of your... Um balance sheet and liquidity. I know we've, we've written on the company uh, quite a bit during COVID, but can you kind of sum up kind of where you are from a balance sheet perspective today? I know you're in pretty good, uh, pretty good shape in, in terms of liquidity, but how does that uh, look like today? Yeah, you know, we, we, our balance sheet's in great shape. We were fortunate in that we did a, a sizable equity transaction in January of this year that, that equitized us, um, really equitized us in, in, in in the view of in continued investment and growth. And, and you know, when COVID set in and, and, you know, a large swath of our tenant base was facing mandatory shutdowns and, and having challenges paying rent, um, we put a, a tap the brakes on investments and, and really, you know, preserve that liquidity to have a strong balance sheet. So at, at the second quarter end, we were um, 4.9 times net jet to um, annualized adjusted EBITDA. Um, we had, you know, over $500 million in liquidity. And if you think about that uh, against an asset base of about $2 billion, that's, you know, a good percent of, of our assets that, that were liquid. And, um, and uh, you know, we had over $100 million in cash full availability on our line um, and really had a, had a fortress-like balance sheet that, that gave us the optionality and gave us the ability to kind of manage through this pandemic and, and, and help our tenants, 
you know, manage their business through the shutdowns and through the subsequent restarting um, and, and come out of the other side with a, a good balance sheet as well which now we're able to, you know, kind of toggle into more of an external growth and deploy some of that capital into creative investments. Right now, I haven't looked at your rent uh, collection recently or the latest uh, filing or this reporting, I guess. Uh, so how is, how is the rent collection coming along uh, since really from, you know, from April uh, through, through uh, the most recent um, filing? Yeah. So that, I mean, you know, we, um, the rent collection has really rebounded quite nicely, you know, probably quite frankly, a little better than I would have anticipated. Um, as we said on our earnings call, you know, our tenants ability to pay us rent is directly correlated to their ability to operate in our properties. And, and, you know, as we sit um, today, you know, 97% of our properties are open and operating, um, albeit some in a limited capacity, but for the, you know, the vast majority are open, which is, it, which is great. Um, you know, the late, the last to come online has been some of our movie theaters with AMC, um, but we're happy to report those guys are open and operating. Um, and that really correlates to, you know, better rent collections. Um, so in, in April, uh, we collected about 68% of our rent in cash. Um, in August, we've collected 90%. And, and um, you know, we've agreed to defer a chunk of, of rent. Um, so 6% of our rent, um, 6 plus percent of our rent in August was subject to a deferral agreement with the balance being, um, you know, an unresolved sort of uh, situation. But we feel real good to be a 90% collection given the magnitude of the pandemic and, and the challenges that our tenants faced. And, and, you know, if you think about the service and experience-based industries, you know, our, our real estate assets were square in the sites of the shutdowns and, and the, the stay-at-home orders and, and the social distancing mandates that where, you know, people couldn't get together and, and, and our tenants have done an incredible job of adapting and, and uh, modifying their businesses to deal with that and, and, you know, return to profitability. So we feel really good about where the portfolio is. Great. Well, um, can you kind of discuss that in, in, in context with your payout ratio? I know you going into the pandemic, uh, you had a really, really attractive payout ratio, obviously just, you know, uh, just several quarters of, of being a public company, but, um, but uh, how does that payout ratio look like today? And, and I guess what I'm uh, getting at is that in terms of dividend safety right now, you know, your yield is somewhere north of 5%. So it looks like you have plenty of capacity there, but uh, how does that payout ratio look in context with that rent collection? Yeah, I think our AFFO payout ratio, let me make sure I get this right. Cause uh, my guy, Dan, well, it would shoot me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't put it on here. Um, you know, listen, our AFFO payout ratio has historically um, been in the, um, you know, kind of 70% range, kind of started and, and, and we've managed it in that range. Um, in the second quarter, it spiked a little bit in that, um, you know, we had some non-recognized deferrals. Um, but, you know, as we think about 90% collections, you know, we're covering our dividend from a cash flow from operations perspective at 80, 80% ish. And, um, and so we feel real good about our dividend, um, the coverage ratio. Um, but more importantly, I would say, you know, if you think of our dividend of $20 million or so and compare that to our liquidity position or our, our, 
are uh, of $500 million plus, um, you know, we have uh, enough capital availability to, to pay our, pay our GNA, cover our dividend for, you know, north of three years, assuming, you know, no rent collection. So um, we feel good about where the dividend is. Um, we paid it, um, you know, in the second quarter, um, the board will look at the, you know, the dividend for the third quarter here shortly. Um, but we feel good about, you know, where we are. Great. You know, clearly at, you know, 90 cents on the dollar in terms of cash collected against our, our annual base rent. Right. Well, um, it looks like you've, you've actually uh, bounced back, a, you know, a little bit during the, the darkest days, hopefully, hopefully the darkest days of COVID. I was checking here and up of roughly, or returned roughly about 40% since, you know, since uh, really call it April 1st, uh, but still shares trading at a fairly substantial discount, uh, at least in our, in our eyes. Uh, how do you, uh, what, how do you think about that in terms of your cost of capital? Obviously your, your debt's in pretty good shape. Equity multiple obviously could be better. Uh, I assume you probably didn't uh, provide any guidance or, 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 or you know, drop guidance uh, based on acquisitions, but how do you feel about your growth pipeline that's sitting in front of you right now? You know, we, we, we feel good. We, um, Despite the, the equity being depressed, it's still accretive for us to deploy capital. Uh, we invest generally um, at, you know, kind of a low to mid seven cap rate range at initial investment and then have rent growth beyond that. Um, and, and our weighted average cost of capital is well inside of that, um, despite the, the um, you know, depressed levels of our shares relative to where they were. Um, so we, we feel good about our ability to deploy capital accretively and grow earnings per share and grow AFFO per share and, and correspondingly grow our dividend. Um, we disclosed in a recent investor deck that we put out uh, on earlier this week that, you know, quarter to date, we've closed about $50 million in transactions at about another $70 million of transactions um, under contract to close and, and really a robust um, pipeline behind that. What I would say, Brad, is, you know, we, um, you know, going into the pandemic, we recognized that this was going to be a very challenging time for our tenant base. We also benefited from being in a great um, liquidity position with a strong balance sheet, and we were very accommodative to our tenants. Um, you know, we, we knew that, you know, they were, they were facing challenges running their business, and, and the last thing they needed to be doing was you know, arm wrestling with the landlord and, and, and being threatened evictions and, and you know, negotiating, uh, renegotiating leases. And so uh, we accommodated our tenants and we structured deferrals and we allowed them to push rent obligations back. Um, we didn't forgive any rent. We merely, you know, um, deferred it and said, you can pay us at another later date. Um, and, and that stance throughout the pandemic, um, you know, has really benefited us on the backside here where we have a lot of our relationships, um, you know, saying, you know, you guys are a good partner to us during the, through the pandemic. We have new opportunities for you to invest and, and you know, choosing to do business with us because, um, you know, we've, we've been a good partner and we've proven to be a reliable landlord. And so our pipeline is strong. We've got great opportunities and, and um, you know, we think our cost of capital um, will continue to rebound, um, particularly as we we transition to a more um, you know more external growth focus and 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 are able to grow our AFFO per share. Um, we don't have guidance out there, but um, you know, typically we provide that in the context of our third 
quarter earnings call. Um, so hopefully we can, you know, with the stability in the portfolio and the predictability of our pipeline, you know, give some guidance to, to people and, and give them a, a good sense of what we should be doing next year. Great. Well, um, you know, um, we've got our, our consensus estimates uh, for 2021, which, which are um, eight, we have eight analysts uh, in our, in our scorecard and, you know, that's 8% growth uh, forecast in 21 and, and actually going out to 9% in 2022. That's only five analysts, but, but nonetheless, um, you know, these analysts, at least as a whole, as a consensus, uh, agree that there's, uh, there's, some, there's some really attractive growth ahead. So uh, really looking forward to, to seeing you again uh, after the third quarter. And uh, Pete, I want to thank you for your time today. And, um, you know, again, uh, best of luck with, uh, with getting through this. But it, I am glad to see, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this COVID uh, really starting to, to uh, see, bring some normalcy uh, to everyone's life. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll see you again. And thank you again for your time today. Great, Brad. We, we appreciate your interest in our company and uh, t appreciate your time and have a great Labor Day weekend. Thank you, too. Awesome. Bye-bye. This is Brad Thomas. I'm back again here. A quick little valuation analysis of EPRT. Uh, we just finished up the interview with Pete Mavoides, the CEO of EPRT. Again, don't confuse that with EPR, different company. Uh, EPRT has very modest theater exposure, uh, under 3%. Uh, EPR has uh, a lot of theater exposure um, and a lot of top golf exposure. So higher ticket, when you think EPR, think higher ticket, uh, higher risk. When you think EPRT, think lower ticket, uh, lower risk. So EPRT and our IREIT IQ model, we have uh, the company scored at 64.5. Again, the, the IREIT IQ model, we use a number of fundamentals and metrics uh, that are REIT specific. Uh, for example, we use the payout ratio, dividend growth, uh, FFO, which is obviously a REIT metric, um, rent collection, which we've included. I think that's important, especially during COVID-19. S&P ratings, the balance sheet, debt to total cap, uh, and weighted average cost of capital, which we touched on in this interview. Um, so overall, We've scored uh, EPRT at 64.5, a little lower than, than, uh, than the sector average of 69.1. Remember, the net lease sector in general has a very wide or broad uh, base or number of constituents uh, from realty income and agree all the way down to, say, like a global net lease. Um, so um, it's a pretty, pretty large group uh, here. And that's why we like the I read IQ because it's it's a we we're able to analyze those companies not only within the sector uh, but also just within the REIT universe. So the average uh, score for the entire uh, coverage universe is 64.7. So um, what that tells us is EPRT is in line there in terms of quality, uh, but a tad lower than the others. And again, you've got to rep recognize that you have realty income, WP carry, some of those stalwart names in there. Uh, and, um, and so with investment grade. So we, we factor all of that in uh, to our model. Now, let's look at the uh, valuation using fast graphs, which is kind of our go-to uh, uh, tool for analyzing valuations. Of course, fast graph stands for fundamental analysis software tool. Uh, so fundamental analysis is the key. So when you look here at, at EPRT, um, you can see that the company 
uh, is generating, and actually I'm gonna switch over real quickly to uh, AFFO, uh, which for REITs is a little better, met net lease REITs, a little better metric there. You see that uh, in 2019, uh, the company generated about $1.14 per share in AFFO. In 2020, around $1.11 a share. So roughly 3% lower. And again, 2020 is the forecasted number. So if that forecast is correct, or consensus correct, we'll see about a 3% earnings decline in 2020, which, which is pretty much in line with what Pete just discussed in terms of rent collection and deferrals and so forth. So that seems to be a pretty accurate number. Now, 2021, we have analyst estimates of uh, $1.20 per share, which is 8% higher than the 2020 consensus number. Uh, what's interesting though, we go out to 2022, we have $1.30 per share, which is another 9%. So that, that, that cat, uh, consensus number for both years is really strong, uh, roughly eight to 9%. And by the way, there's a, as I mentioned uh, on the conversation with Pete, there are eight analysts that have um, scored 2021 and five analysts for 2022. So that looks pretty good. As I also mentioned on the call earlier, the, the uh, company has EPRT has returned roughly 40% since the bottom. But, but clearly there's some room left here to run. And, and again, if this company continues to execute, if we you know, keep, continue to move back into uh, uh, a more normalized environment uh, where people are dining out, uh, eating, you know, obviously fast food has is, is actually had an advantage during COVID because of the drive-throughs. But uh, I just ate breakfast this morning outside at a very popular restaurant with my mother, uh, for example. Uh, those restaurants are gonna continue to open and so looking at all of those pieces collective, collectively, and again, using the forecasting tool with fast graphs, um, we believe there's still plenty of, uh, you know, plenty of, 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 of growth ahead in terms of uh, multiple expansion. Right now, shares are trading at a multiple on an AFFO basis of 16.2. Uh, shares have traded as high as 24 times, or actually 25 times moving, prior to COVID. So, you know, given where we see now, it's, it, we believe that there's potential for the company to return another 40% or so um, annually, um, say through the end of 2021 is kind of where we're forecasting at this point. Um, so, and that's a, that moves, that, that's reflective of a 22.5 times multiple. And again, EPRT was actually trading at 25, I want to remind you again, just moved just before uh, COVID, I think that period was somewhere in February 10th or so where uh, shares were trading at about a 25 multiple. So 40% um, growth already. We've seen that total returns. We believe there could be another 40% to go annually. So we're definitely maintaining our strong buy with EPRT. We've got a lot more clarity now, by the way, after second quarter and the continued rent collection efforts and of course, just driving around the, the country and seeing uh, people getting back out more. So uh, that's where we are. I want to uh, thank everybody for, uh, for listening to this, uh, uh, this edition of uh, our iREIT uh, podcast and Ground Up. And I uh, hope everybody has a great day. Thanks again.